Hey everyone, I'd like to welcome you to the Bridge Online service today. And if this is your very first time, we are just so grateful to, to have you. Um, I want to thank you, Bridge, as a church, uh, for your involvement in We Care Eau Claire. Uh, we were part of uh, many churches that helped provide uh, a thousand backpacks and, ch and school supplies for a thousand Eau Claire students uh, who had that need this year. And I want to especially thank Karen Beal and Jamie Helt for spearheading uh, this ministry on our behalf. And we do know there's, there's a need for another uh, 500 students or so who are waiting uh, for backpacks as well. And uh, if you're able to be involved, you can go to wecareauclair.com and uh, you can participate um, by uh, donating for uh, backpacks. And this week is the week that uh, we start school for many of our students, and the schedules are they're, they're very varied and uh, lots of change this year. I want to encourage you all to pray for our students, for our parents, and for our teachers. We have a lot of teachers at the bridge as well, and um, that this can be a successful year even with all these changes. Last week, we looked at a, a very insightful passage in Jeremiah 29, verses uh, 4 through 14, where God's people, if you remember, were sent into captivity to Babylon under the powerful king Nebuchadnezzar. This was both humbling and humiliating for God's people. They did not want to be there. This was a strange land, a strange city. It was a place that did not honor God. God's people didn't want to be there. But God said, it's going to be 70 years. Get used to it. In fact, God said, I want you to go on with your life and to promote good wherever you are. I have a plan for you. It's a plan to prosper you. A plan that will give you a future and a hope. Now, I picked this passage that I'm going to speak on uh, before the Romans, before the Jeremiah 29 passage. And uh, because of the racial tension, I, I picked this passage because of the racial tension in our country this past week. Because we face an election year with many diverse opinions. Now, when I picked this passage, I didn't expect another shooting of a black man, Jacob Blake. Um, I didn't expect to see violence and looting in the streets of Kenosha this week. I didn't expect to learn about a 17-year-old shooter who would kill two people and injure another person. These things break the heart of God. But because of these tragic events, I almost decided not to speak on this subject because in a lot of ways it's really sensitive. But after thinking about it and praying what God would have me to speak on, we're going to look at Romans chapter 13 uh, this morning and consider our dual citizenship. I don't know if you think about that very often. 
We have a dual citizenship. We belong to two kingdoms. We belong to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and we belong to the kingdom of earth, the kingdom of this world. The Apostle Paul acknowledges that we belong, that we have a citizenship in another world. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul writes, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. That's something to look forward to. Paul reminds us that we have a citizenship in heaven. We have citizenship papers. We belong to a kingdom that is not of this world. If you are a Christ follower, you belong to this kingdom, the kingdom of God. Your citizenship was a gift it was a gift from God. It was given to you when you placed your faith in Christ. It was a given to you as a part of your salvation. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but we're not there yet. We belong there, and one day we will experience that kingdom firsthand. We will experience the eternal kingdom of God with the King of Kings, but we're not there yet. Right now, we are also citizens of an earthly kingdom. It's not a perfect kingdom, and it doesn't have perfect people. And that's what bothers us. But we aren't perfect people either. In Romans 13, God has spoken about our responsibilities to live in this earthly kingdom as Christ followers. And so we're going to look at Romans chapter 13, and I'll just read the passage for us. If you want to turn to Romans chapter 13, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 8. The Apostle Paul begins in verse 1. He says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. That's Romans 13, verses 1 through 8. 
The first reminder I want to bring to us this morning in verses 1 through 5 is that God has placed our government, government over us as His authority. Government is God's authority. He has designed human society to live in orderly environments by establishing government authority. Please notice in verse 1, our government has been established by God. Paul says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. God calls every Christ follower to be subject to governing authorities because our government has been established by God. It's true whether we like our government officials or not. It's true whether we like our president or not. It's true if we like our governor or not. It's true whether we like our police or not. God is not surprised uh, about who our government officials are. We are to be subject to our national government, our state government, our county government, our city government, even our various school districts. No one got elected or appointed without God's permission. God delegates authority to government officials. All government officials are accountable to Him. Remember that last week we saw Ebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And that was the same king that destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C. And he was called a servant of God. God used him for his purposes. The prophet Daniel puts, this, puts it in this way in Daniel 4.17. He says, the decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High, the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone He wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. God is sovereign over all human governments on earth right now. And He can choose the lowliest of people, to be His servants in government. And sometimes we think some governing, governing officials are not the best people to be doing their job. God can pick whoever He wants for whatever purpose He has. This next section may surprise you in, in verse 2. Our response to our government is a response to God. Now remember uh, verse 1, let everyone be subject to governing authorities. Now look at verse 2. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling of what God has instituted. Think about this. Rebelling against government, rebelling against Government officials is rebelling against God. And Paul goes on, those who do will bring God's judgment on themselves. God holds people accountable for how they respond to His authority in government. He holds government responsible. He holds all people responsible. 
In verses 3 and 4, we see God's purpose for government is for the good of society. Now, that doesn't mean all governments are good. It doesn't mean that all governments do a good job at governing. But God has a purpose for government. Verse 3, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right. In other words, governments will provide stability for people, including peace and safety. For the citizens that do good, they have nothing to fear. That's what uh, the Apostle uh, Paul uh, teaches here. But for those who do wrong, those who disobey the law, should expect the government to pursue justice for violating laws. That's just normal. And what concerns us is that we have imperfect people in government and we have an imperfect government and justice is not always accomplished and sometimes people get away with breaking the law and that disappoints us. Government is established by God for our good. And Paul writes, Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. Living within the law brings uh, some peace and safety. This is God's design for government. And again, our government isn't perfect. Our people aren't perfect Evil people and corrupt people and corrupt leaders violate God's design for government. God's plan for government is good. Now think about this. God's plan for government is good. It's just like God's plan for marriage is good. The problem is people. The problem is is that people fail. But you don't throw out the institution because of imperfect people. In verse 4, the Apostle Paul writes, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. Government authorities, presidents, senators, congressmen, governors, police, state troopers, are servants of God. So when you think about how diverse America is and how many different viewpoints there are in America and how many different political opinions and how many different needs we have in this country, it's really pretty amazing that we have so much peace and freedom and protection. We can get into our cars, and we just take this all for granted, We could drive from New York City to Los Angeles. Almost anyone can. I know that some would argue that it's not safe for every person. But almost anyone can get in their car and cross state line after state line on roads made by and and provided by our government, and they can travel safely without fear. Now, I know that there are some exceptions. Paul goes on, but if you do wrong, be afraid. If you drive 100 miles an hour on I-94, don't be surprised. Expect to discover uh, red lights or flashing lights in your rearview mirror. And, and Paul says, so if you commit a crime, expect 
um, expect the consequences. And he says, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. Bearing the sword refers to the government being armed. A sword was a lethal weapon. Governments have the authority to execute capital punishment. They have the authority to bear arms. And they are God's servant, Paul continues. Agents of wrath. Think about that. God has appointed servants. He has appointed government officials as his servants to be agents of wrath on his behalf. To bring punishment on his behalf. Government is to promote justice. Now, the problem is we don't have perfect justice in this life. It's because we don't have perfect people in this life. And um, sometimes things in our government, sometimes things in our society are very unjust and very unfair. And our government officials are accountable to God. In verse 5, Paul summarizes, submission to our government is God's command, and this is the norm. Verse 5, Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Paul has two reasons. Why? Number one, the possible punishment. You may have to face your own consequences if you violate laws of our government. So we ought not be surprised. Um, We may have to pay a fine. We may have to pay a speeding ticket. We may have to um, appear in court. We could go to jail. We could get probation. Paul's advice, seek to be a good citizen and respect government laws. That's also God's advice. Seek to be a good citizen and respect government laws. Another reason is for conscience' sake, violating your conscience before God. Uh, God created us with a conscience. It's a kind of warning system, a kind of a guidance system that identifies right and wrong. We have to have the right information, though, if we're going to identify right and wrong. Your conscience is most accurate when it's filtered through God's Word. Now, if you are a Christ follower, you have the Holy Spirit. And He is the one who brings clarity and, 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 and aligns you with truth and is sensitive uh, to what God desires. Guilt is the normal response for violating God's commands. And, and conscience produces guilt when we violate God's command to obey our government. So think of it like this. We have a dual citizenship. We have an earthly citizenship and we have a heavenly citizenship. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. You remember this? Uh, We talk about this. uh, It's the beginning of what we call the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. And this is what He taught His disciples to pray as a model. He says, this then is how you should pray Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are the two kingdoms. One's in heaven, one's on earth. And the prayer is God's people, followers of Christ, should be praying that God's kingdom would come to this earth. The good news is that His kingdom is coming to this earth. But it hasn't yet. We're not there yet. We're here. And we're in the earthly kingdom. And the, the couple of prayer requests here. Hallowed be your name. Jesus is praying for God's name to be holy on this earth. And how, how's that going to happen? It's going to happen through His people as, as God's people honor Him. God's kingdom come, your will be done. That's about following uh, God's commands. It's about representing Jesus Christ. As we do that on this earth, we show what the kingdom of God is like, where there is total and full obedience on earth as it is in heaven. Secondly, God has authorized government to require taxes. This will be an unpopular subject. God has authorized government to require taxes. Uh, this is where government gets personal. Think of it this way. Verse 6, our taxes support God's servant. We don't always like that. We don't like government officials who don't use the money that they've been supported with wisely. We, we don't like it when we think they have misspent the money given to them. Verse 6, this is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servant who give their full time to governing. Government officials are imperfect. We want perfect government officials, but we don't have them. Um, government officials need financial support. God is okay with that. God is okay that we pay taxes to support government officials and to pay their salaries. Um, God expects us to pay taxes so that this can happen, so the government can do their job. On one particular occasion, the Jewish religious leaders uh, came to Jesus to challenge him in Matthew chapter 22. They wanted to deceive uh, Jesus and make him look foolish in front of other people. So they posed a trick question. And here was what they said to Jesus. Tell us then, what is your, your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. Next slide. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Jesus answered them very skillfully. Um, he says, on the one hand, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Caesar requires you to pay tax to support his government. You pay your taxes. And give God back 
what God desires from you. God wants you to be a generous giver. Uh, God wants you to support His kingdom. And God wants you to give His, your total commitment back to Him. He wants you to give your life. He wants you to give Him the honor that is due Him as Lord. So give to Caesar what is His and give to God what is God's. Next, in verse 7, our attitudes and actions to government, government represent Christ. It's not only about paying taxes, but it's also about our attitudes. This is personal again. It's about our attitudes toward our government. It's about our attitudes toward our president, toward our governor, toward our police. Verse 7, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. This is God's expectation for a believer in Christ. Um, if you owe income tax, pay your income tax and be honest on your tax returns. If you owe property tax, pay property tax. If you owe sales tax, pay your sales tax and don't cheat. Our attitudes and actions to government represent Christ. He says, if revenue, then revenue. This could be for a tax or it could be when you buy, when you pay for something and you exchange money, you should be fair. Don't cheat. And then he says, if respect, this is about attitude. This includes our government, our military, our police. It, re it refers to all people. If you owe them respect, then give them respect. Then he says, if honor, then honor. This includes all authorities. Treating people with honor. This is representing Jesus. So, what if we don't agree with our government? I knew you would ask that question. This is really an important question. We have a national election coming up on November 3rd, and we live in a country where we get to have a say. We get to have a vote for who will be our president and our vice president president. Will it make a difference? Do you have an opinion about that? There are strong opinions on both sides, um, and there are disappointments on both sides. And you get to vote to express your views. So one, one way that we have a say, we have, we have freedom of speech, um, one way we have a say is we get a vote. Also, if you disagree with our government, you can legally petition the government to change the laws. You can even take them to court. Now, you can't do that in every country in the world. Um, we have freedom of the press. We can write letters to the editor or almost any kind of writing venue to express our opinion. We can express our political views and our, our political concerns. We do not have the right to incite violence. We do not have the right to destroy property. We do not have the right to slander. In general, we are to obey government because God has placed our government authorities over us. There are times of exception when government exceeds its authority. There have been a number throughout history I'm just going to look at one in Acts chapter 5 where the apostles were ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus. 
It was about priorities. In Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 29, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. They said, we, give you, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Next slide. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with all your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood? Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Peter recognized a higher authority that's over law, and that's God's authority. And when there is a uh, conflict between human law and God's law, God's law is the priority. Now, the apostles could have kept quiet when they were told not to speak in Jesus' name. But Peter understood the higher priority, the higher value of speaking for God and representing God and being willing to take the consequences. And one day it will require his life. But they walked away on this occasion. But one day it would require his life. It's not always the case that people get to walk away. There are many examples throughout history of Christ followers who represented Jesus and shared the gospel and were put to death for their sake in Christ. So God has placed our government over us as his authority. God has uh, authorized government to require taxes, whether we like it or not. And lastly, in verse 8, God desires his people to be in debt only to one thing. Look at Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Let's talk about what it means. It means when it comes to debt, if you need to pay your taxes, pay taxes. If you need to pay revenue, pay your revenue. If you need to pay someone respect, pay respect. If you need to pay them honor, pay honor. Love is primary. Pay all those things that you're required. Most of all, Love is a debt that never runs out. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. We can fulfill the law, and then the debt continues. We need to continue to fulfill the law. What does it not mean? It does not mean that you cannot have a mortgage. It doesn't mean you can't have a car loan. It doesn't mean you can't have a credit card. When you take out a loan, you make a contract and you agree to pay a certain amount of money over a certain period of time on certain dates. If you can meet your contract every month, you are not in violation. Um, there is a lot of debt that I would call just plain foolish debt, and that's where people get into trouble uh, with loans and credit cards when they're when they're paying for things that they can't afford, they can't afford to keep up on their payments, or they're being extremely foolish with how high of uh, interest that they're paying. Um, but, it, but this doesn't mean to let no debt remain outstanding, that you can't have credit. Um, in verse 8, our debt 
is to love our fellow man. And this never goes away as a debt. This is something we owe our fellow man. I think this is in response to God's love for us and the sacrifice of his son for us. And we don't really pay God back, but this is how we express our love back to God by loving our fellow man. Fellow man is from the older 1984 version of the NIV. To say love one another focuses on, I think, the love for one believer for another believer. Fellow man has a larger context that is to do good to all men. Have you ever thought that you have a debt to love your fellow man? Even politicians, even government officials. And as we do is to to promote the well-being of our government and the people who serve us in government. Also in verse 8, loving our fellow man fulfills God's law. We just mentioned that. When we love other people, we promote their welfare. We seek to do good for them. And, you know, as we open today, one of the things that the bridge was just recently involved is We Care Eau Claire, and that's seeking the good for our community. That's showing love for people by doing good for them so that they too can prosper. Last week we looked at God's instructions for people held in captivity. Remember that? Jeremiah 29 verse 7 said this, God said, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. It was a God thing. They didn't like it. God took them to a place they didn't want to be. And he he wanted them to seek peace and he wanted them to seek prosperity. He didn't want them to um, focus on complaining and uh, being against and being angry with their environment. And then he says, pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. As our city is healthy and as it prospers, we will prosper as God's people right where we are. And then God gave his people a promise in in Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 13. Remember this, as we talked about, this is one of the best known, maybe the best known verse in Jeremiah today. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in the future. We love that passage, but it's true. God does have a plan for us. It's a good plan. God does want us to prosper. He wants us to turn to Him. He wants us to pray to Him. He wants us to be devoted to Him, to have full devotion to Christ And he will prosper, and he will not harm, and he will give us a hope in the future. And if you remember, that was over a 70-year period, and it just didn't happen overnight, and they went through a lot of difficulty before they saw prosperity and before they began to thrive as a people. He says in verse 12, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's when they were going to prosper. That's when they would see God's plan. That's how they would understand how God was working to preserve and to protect them through these very, very difficult times. 
God has plans for us to prosper, not to harm, to give us a future and a hope as well. Our government is not our enemy. We already have an enemy that seeks to discredit and dishonor God. Our attitudes, our speech, our actions are important when it comes to thinking about our government, talking about our government, responding to our government. Will we embrace God's authority in government? Or will we think it somehow is not connected to our spiritual lives? I think this is really important. How we respond to government is very closely connected to our walk with Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, the book of Romans, to the Roman church that was in the city of Rome. God's people were in the city of Babylon when, when, when this was written to them. Paul was writing to believers in Rome, hundreds of miles from Jerusalem, from the beginning of the church. Rome was the most powerful city in its day. It was the most powerful city in the world. It, it was ruled by Nero and a not so popular and not so good of royal emperor. Um, the government was not perfect. It had corruption. It even had emperor worship. Now one of the interesting things about the New Testament period is Rome was ruling the world at this time. And because God had raised up Rome as a powerful entity in the first century, the gospel was free to be communicated all over the Roman Empire because Rome had built roads all through the empire and they were policed by Roman soldiers which allowed people to travel safely without being robbed. Rome ruled the Mediterranean Sea with its navy and allowed people to travel. The Apostle Paul traveled all the time through the Roman Empire, mostly in safety, except from the Jewish people when he got into trouble in cities. Not from necessarily the Romans, but primarily from the Jewish community in different cities. Roman government was not perfect. About nine years after Paul wrote this letter, Paul was executed in Rome. Think about that. He wrote this letter, and then he would be executed in this city. Peter was also executed in this city at the same time, and this was under the Roman emperor Nero. Jesus had warned his disciples, and he told them that they were going to suffer on his behalf. And all of the disciples were willing to do that to the very end of their lives. Now think about this. God never rescinded once that his people shouldn't obey governing authority. Never once. He has raised up government for the good of society. And how we respond is so important as a Christ follower. Our attitudes, our behavior, our action. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful to live in a country where we have so much freedom and possibility. We have safety. We have benefits. 
We have opportunities that many, many nations and peoples don't, do not have. And you have um, enabled us to live in a, in a place that's safe at a time like this. God, we pray that you would uh, give wisdom to our leaders, to our president, to our governor, um, that you would enable them to um, promote justice and fairness, whether they're Republicans or Democrats. Um, for, for our Congress, for our Senate, we pray, God, that you would enable them to establish just and fair laws. We thank you for our police that serve our communities. We recognize that there are imperfect people in police departments and sometimes grave injustice happens and that makes us very sad. But God, we pray that you will use the police to do, do their jobs fairly and, and adequately and accurately. And... Um, God, may we be people who represent you well and how we handle the upcoming election and how we handle day-to-day -day life as, as these tensions exist in our world. And then, Father, as, uh, as our students go back to school, we just pray that you will enable them to adapt to the new situations, whether it's a virtual school um, in a new setting or whether it's a back-to-school in a new setting. And as their schedules are just uh, really unique this year, Help them to make adjustments, and may it be a significant time of learning for them as well. And one day they would look back at this time uh, with uh, um, appreciation for how, uh, how they were able to thrive even in a difficult situation. Give parents wisdom as they deal with these, uh, with the schedule, with uh, addressing the needs of their, uh, their, their children through this time. Um, and then I pray for our teachers. Uh, thank you so much for the teachers that we have in the Bridge family. Uh, help teachers uh, to, to have the wisdom and the energy to, to continue to adjust and uh, to help establish safe environments for students. We pray for your protection on all of them. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.